Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Kelly Lotta. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, What an honor to get to share a word with you this morning. Uh, We've been talking about missions all month long. um, And actually, um, about two to three weeks before Nathan reached out to me about preaching this morning, God highlighted a passage of scripture to me and showed me, this is your next word for providence. And I just love that, that that's who God is. He prepares he gives, and then he provides an opportunity. So, um, so that's where we're going this morning. If anybody wants to get there early, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel 34. Um, but as we get started and as we turn there, um, I believe that God really wants to expand our understanding of missions this morning. Uh, we, I think we often think of it in terms of outreach right? Meeting needs, missions projects. We, we just talked about helping um, Haiti and what's going on there. As he mentioned, our own outreach, Love Lives, helps broken families and people coming out of abusive situations to start over, providing furniture and sometimes financial help and nurturing hearts. And it is an essential part of what God has for us. Um, but really, the, the, the commission for missions, it comes out of Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so that's what missions is sort of wrapped around, that command of Jesus when he commissions them. But I want you to notice that he didn't say, go get them saved. He said, make disciples, make disciples. And there's a difference. And I think sometimes we often end up serving the lost, right, which is important. We're very seeker-friendly, right? We want to bring people in, but sometimes we end up serving the lost at the expense of the body. The lost becomes our focus, and the body flounders, and that's what God wants to speak to us about this morning. Missions actually starts at home. It starts at home. Our first and primary mission is to the church, to make it strong, to cultivate whole, healthy, anointed believers who can then go out and make a difference, changing lives themselves, who not only meet material needs, but carry the presence of God with them and go in and make a difference wherever they go. So we have this habit of getting people saved and then sort of plugging them into service, but we miss the essential aspect of discipling people into their true identity and calling. That is where the power of God's going to fall where his presence will be found. And we will shift from doing these works in our own strength to stepping into what God has and revealing him. We want God to be evident, seen, and moving through the body. That's the dream of Kelly Ladder Ministries, to disciple people into wholeness, to help them heal, discover who they are in Christ, equip them with gifts and how to use them, and then send them out. We really just desire to be a support to churches, not taking anything from churches, but how can we come alongside and partner and help equip people to know who they are and become all they can be in the Lord. We can do a lot of great things for God in our own strength with the talents he's given us, right? The world does not need our gifts and talents. There are a lot of talented people in the world, and many of them do not know Jesus. The world does not need our talents. It needs our anointing. 
It needs our anointing. It needs the power and presence of God manifesting through us. That's what made the early church so effective, and that's what we're desperate for today. So we're going to be looking at Ezekiel 34, um, and where I think we find in Scripture what stands in the way of that experience for many of us. Um, So if you turn with me to Ezekiel 34, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And this says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, and you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. I just want to stop here for a second, because here we see God's complaint. He repeats it in verses 2 and 3. You are not feeding my sheep. You've been feeding yourselves, but not your sheep, right? Taking from what I give for yourself, but with really no concern for the others around you. And God says, I have a problem with that. The gospel is actually other-centered. It always has been. The enemy has diluted the power of the gospel by convincing us to make it about what we can get. But actually, its power comes from what we give. For God so loved that he gave. It's who he is. And his true disciples are also going to give of themselves for others, and love compels it. And there's this biblical principle that says you're going to receive in the measure that you give. And so we keep looking to receive from God without learning to find our place and give in the body. And we get frustrated because we're not receiving what we think we should be. But the biblical principle behind it is that with the measure that you give, you will begin to receive. God is always about reciprocal blessing. And so here we see God saying, here's my complaint, you do not feed my sheep. Well, in John 21, Jesus also talks about this. There's a story um, about the disciples. It's after Jesus has gone to the cross and Peter has denied him. And they are out all night fishing. And Jesus calls to them from the shore, cast the net on the right side and you'll find some. They caught nothing all night. They hear this voice from the shore. They cast the net. And they're, not unab- they're unable to haul in the load that they get. And so they recognize it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so Peter literally jumps out of the boat and runs to his Savior. Runs to the one he has just denied. And so they end up having breakfast together on the shore, eating some of the fish. And when they finish eating, Jesus looks at Peter and he asks, Do you love me more than these? And Peter responds to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replies with three words, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then he asks him a second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he replies. Jesus says, tend my sheep. Third time, yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Now, this is significant to Jesus because he doesn't waste words right? We see him repeating himself three times in the same passage. He wants this seared into Peter's heart. Peter, whom he is entrusting to lead and build his church, he is about to commission them to go make disciples of all nations. But before he does, he gives this message to Peter, repeating it three times. Do not forget this. 
Do not let this get lost. If you truly love me, you will tend my lambs and feed my sheep. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in Ezekiel 34 with God's complaint. You have not been feeding my sheep. And I want you to notice that these are his lambs. This is not about the lost. In both passages, Jesus says, these are my sheep. God is calling them his sheep. There's ownership there. He's talking about his own people. He be- they belong to him, and he wants them fed. And then he defines what he means by that in verse 4. Verse 3, he had just says, you do not feed the sheep. And then he defines it in the very next verse. He says, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So he defines there what he means by feeding the sheep. And it's not just meeting material needs. It's not feeding their physical bodies. He's saying you should be strengthening the weak, healing the sick, binding up the wounds of the the injured, bringing back the stray, and going after the lost, and you should be ruling with kindness and gentleness from my nature. And the fact that this isn't happening brings about two results that we find in verses 5 and 6. So because this is not happening, he says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to seek or search for them. So the two things that happened, because they have not been strengthening them, healing them, binding them up and making them whole, First, they were scattered and wandered. His people were divided. There was no unity. Everyone fending for themselves and going in their own direction. I wonder if that sounds like anything that we're experiencing in our day. Division. And the result of that, they became food for the wild beasts, he says. They were scattered. They were no longer together, unified. And the wild beasts began to devour them. Well, in scripture, wild beasts represent demonic influences. Essentially, God is saying to them, my people are being devoured by demons. His own people. This is not the loss that he's talking about. This is his kids. And the message is clear. If we do not strengthen what is weak and heal what is sick in God's people, there will be no unity in the body. People will be divided and scattered, fending for themselves, and the enemy will continue to devour us. The pain, disunity, and oppression that we experience in the body result from this. We have not been strengthening the weak, healing the sick, and binding the injured. He's talking about inner healing, healing the heart. Healing the heart. This is how God defines missions and what he means when he calls us to make disciples, what he was teaching Peter. We don't just get them saved, we need to see them healed and restored, and then they can be sent. And it is a vital part of what I think is often missing. Well, if we jump down to verse 11, we'll see that God gives his answer to the problem, what he was going to do about this, the fact that his people were being injured and scattered. Verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. My people are not doing it, 
I'm going to do it myself. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I want to suggest to you that's a reference to the cross. He says, I am going to bring them to me, and I am going to rescue them on a day of thick clouds and darkness. When Jesus hung on that cross, the whole earth went dark for an afternoon. And he says, I will bring them out from the peoples and I will gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. You see the blessing and the provision that God wants to provide. And he says in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So here's God's heart, what he declares. Okay, this isn't happening. I need to do something about this myself. And I am going to become the shepherd for my sheep. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But I want you to notice something else in verse 15. There's a little phrase in there. He says, I myself will make them lie down. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Anyone else find it interesting that God has to make his people lie down? We are so used to striving, pressing, doing for ourselves that we resist rest and receiving. We actually resist perpetually the work that God wants to do that brings us his provision. And so he says, I will make them lie down. We find that same phrase in Psalm 23, It's a passage of scripture I I memorized as a little girl in, in Christian school, Psalm 23. Probably many of you know it, but it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That phrase just means I'm gonna lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. And here's how I tap into that provine division. Verse two, he makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And leads me beside still waters. The actual literal translation of still waters is waters of rest. Places of peace. Where we can cease striving and posture ourselves to actually receive from him. And there, he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. And right here is where healing is found. Right in this place, the restoration of the soul. This is what God is after. We're going to look together on what that means. But from that restoration, it then says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want you to notice that restoring our souls precedes our ability to walk in righteousness. It precedes it. We have been given it. We carry it. Scripture says that an exchange has been made. Jesus took on our sin. We took on his righteousness. But in order for us to walk in that righteousness and live from that and all the blessings that come with us, he must restore our soul. If you want to live the blessings and promises that Jesus bled to give you, you need to let him restore yours. 
That's what the ministry of soul care is all about. Letting Jesus restore our soul so that we can experience all of the blessings that he has poured out for us. And you notice all of the rest that follows in Psalm 23. If we let him restore our soul, then we will be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. Then we will receive the anointing that enables you to defeat your enemies. And it closes that passage of scripture with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think that's a promise that we want, right? Goodness and mercy following me everywhere that I walk. Goodness and mercy of the God revealed in its wake. That's the promise that's found there. Most of us aren't living that promise because we're missing that very first step. He's saying, you're not, letting, you're not coming to me to lie down in my pastures and let me restore your soul. It all begins there. So what is the soul? What is the soul? I think this is confusing to a lot of us. Well, it's really made up of our thoughts, desires, and feelings. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's our soul. And this is what needs to be restored in us. When God created us, he formed us in his image with three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so I'm just going to give you just a little, I could teach a whole series on this. I'm going to just try to explain it in just, just a, a short little summary of these things. But our spirit, this is the part of us that God intended to connect with him and to dwell with him, where he dwelt in the beginning with Adam. He created that part to connect or relate, and it's where when we put our faith in him and his spirit comes and takes up residence in us, it becomes one with our spirit. That's where he resides in us. And it's how he communicates with us. God communicates spirit to spirit. So if we're trying to read the word of God and get understanding, but we're not engaging his spirit, we're just using our own mind and heart, we're going to miss what it means. God communicates spirit to spirit. And he intended this part of us to be dominant. We were created to be spirit-led people. That's what Adam and Eve were at the beginning. That's why everything was perfect. God gave us a spirit, and his spirit was one with that spirit, giving the wisdom of God, the character of God from that place into our soul. Our soul then was given to process the information that God gave us through the spirit and enable us to make decisions. It's where our will comes from, our desires, right? And then our body houses those two pieces of us. So there's those three parts. So in the beginning, our soul was bound by the spirit to God's goodness, receiving its wisdom from him, reflecting his nature and character. That's why everything was perfect. Then Satan convinced Adam and Eve to make a decision independent of God's wisdom. Use your own thoughts. Don't receive the wisdom of God. Use your own thoughts. How do you feel about this? Right? And so the soul, which up to that point had been submitting to the spirit, operating in perfect unity, which is why there was health to the body and peace everywhere, he, he convinces them to reject God's wisdom and make a decision independent of God based on what they thought, felt, and desired rather than what God said. And in that moment, things went out of alignment. Instead of spirit, soul, body, soul, 
took the position of authority. And that's where everything went haywire. Everything. Things got out of alignment. And then God's spirit departed and man's spirit just went dormant. That's how death came in. We lost eternal life in God because the life that man carried was found by the eternal life of God being inside. And so when it departed, death came to man. And that's where we've been living all this time, our spirits being dormant, no longer receiving guidance and wisdom directly from God, but we're left to fend for ourselves, making judgments based on our own understanding, our own feelings, our own desires. And that's how we've lived most of our lives. And so since the fall, our souls have been in charge. But instead of that soul being innately good, which is how it began, drawing from God's very nature, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, his self-control, all the beauty of who he is, that left, and our soul then got bound to the enemy's nature. Now it operates in selfishness, anger, fear, judgment, division. Love has been replaced by fear. Sorrow overtook joy. The image of the enemy now present and active in humanity instead of God's own. Our souls got twisted by sin. And so the cross was about bringing the life of God and the nature of God back to humanity to transform us back into his image and bring things into proper order where we receive his spirit. It brings our spirit to life. He starts to lead and the soul submits to the spirit. That's God's design and what he's trying to move us toward. So at salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus, you became a completely new creation in Christ. Scripture tells us that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. This is not a work we're moving toward. It's already happened. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are new. Well, this takes place in our spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Your God-given identity is restored, and now God is wanting to communicate to you through the spirit who you really are and what he desires you to do and empower you to live it. So here's where the tension comes in. So my spirit is now completely new in Christ, alive with the life of God, but my soul is not. My soul is not. And we struggle because our souls have not yet been restored. This is how we, it, it can kind of be confusing sometimes in church. We'll hear things like, we are fully sanctified, yet at the same time being sanctified. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense to us. Well, it's because there are these, these two different parts of us. And so it is a completed work in my spirit. It is a not completed work in my soul. And so that journey, it's an ongoing process. Our soul needs to receive its new truth from the Spirit and align with what the Spirit is saying. And then we begin to live out in the body the promises of Scripture. That's what it comes from. James 1.29 commands us to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. He's talking to the church when he writes it. And he's saying, now you need to receive the word that's been implanted in you by the Spirit. You need to receive it into your soul. And that's how your soul gets restored and saved. 
The Christian life is not about how much scripture we know or even the good works we do. It is about learning to live spirit-led. That's what the whole thing is about. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. We have spent our whole lives governing ourselves, living from our souls, making decisions based on what we've experienced, on what our perceptions or our logic dictates. And because our fallen soul has been bound to the enemy, we self-destruct. We make choices that hurt us. We make choices that hurt the people that we love. And that's what Jesus came to enter into and say, enough. Let's change you back and restore to my design that you can live in the blessings and the promises that I have for you. It is what freedom is about. Freeing our minds from the influence of the enemy. Freeing our hearts from the lies that he planted there so he can't manipulate us any longer through our feelings. And our hearts and our minds, our soul, can come into alignment with what is already true in my spirit and what he's given me. This is why we experience such personal turmoil. Every one of us in this room, if we are in Christ, has experienced the frustration of the war, the internal war raging inside. This is why we have the spirit of God and we're trying to follow the spirit, but my soul is still submitting to these other influences instead of God. And so every time I'm trying to take a step with the Lord, it is opposing the work that the spirit wants to do. And that's why we can be in such personal turmoil. It likes to be in charge. Your soul has been in charge forever. It doesn't want to submit. And it is only in the submission that we begin to experience the life of God. See, that's the difference between Jesus and the enemy. Jesus just, the enemy just takes what he wants. He will make you do things. Jesus never makes us, he invites, right? So he says, I've given you my spirit I've given you everything that is required for life and godliness, for restoration, for blessing. I've given it to you, but I will not force you to walk in it. I will not make a slave of your soul. I will not make it a slave. Surrender it to me, and I will heal it and restore it and bring it in line with my design for you. But if we do not actively pursue this work, it's not going to happen. And we're going to continue to live in the division and the frustration, the disunity, the brokenness of the body where the enemy continues to pick us off and, and devour us one by one. And I think that it is time. God is just wanting to awaken us to receive what he wants to give through the restoration of our soul. We have this constant chaos as we waver between flesh and spirit soul and spirit. They're in conflict with each other. And then our body is not at peace because these other two parts of us are warring with each other. And so we don't experience the healing and the life that Jesus made available to us because our body reflects what is happening in our soul. Think about, I mean, med the medical field has proven it, right? What does stress do to the body? Stress is something that happens in the soul. It's how we feel. It's anxiety, it's, it's pressure, it's worry. Those things actually have a physical effect on our body. We get ulcers, high blood pressure, heart disease, right? So the, the health that we want to experience and the healing that Jesus poured out to the inner man and the outer man, it happens as we come into alignment with what is true in our spirit and what, what God did 
3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Do you see the link between the health and the restoration of our soul and the physical well-being of our body? We will not experience the fullness of what God has if we do not do this. Transformation occurs as we learn to bring our soul under the authority of the Spirit. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. The mind is a part of our soul. We keep, we keep making our decisions and setting our mind on the fleshly, earthly things we've been used to. We're going to experience death. Death in our bodies. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind submitted to the Spirit results in life and peace. And so healing is really about removing every obstacle to peace and bringing agreement between your soul and your spirit. We think often that healing is just about trauma or some tragic thing that had to happen. And sometimes that is the case and Jesus' grace is available for that. But it's so much more. It's every little lie that opposes what is true that opposes what is true so that we can dwell in peace instead of conflict. See, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So having your soul at peace with God, if my soul is not warring with what God is speaking and saying, I can experience peace in my body. But if my soul is resisting what God is speaking and saying, I will not be at peace and I will feel that anxiety and the heaviness and the twisting that we so often feel even though God's word says you can experience a peace that surpasses understanding. But we're not going to live it if our soul is not coming into alignment with our spirit. And as we allow this inner work to happen, an outer work begins to reveal itself as the enemy loses ground in your heart and mind. Anointing increases as the enemy is driven out. This is what we need I want you each to know that God had something very specific in mind when he created you. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed something for you. You were known before you were created. God imagined you, delighted in what he imagined, and then he formed what he knew. And he gave you gifts and a purpose, something to accomplish of kingdom value. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what we think of missions, right? The works. But I want you to notice that God prepared them beforehand. It's not us coming up with, with our own logic and reasoning, what should I do for the Lord? It is submitting to the Spirit and letting him lead you into what he knit you for and fashioned for you. So he sets us up for good kingdom works. And from the time you entered this world, even before the womb, the enemy has been setting himself on destroying your God-given identity, taking it from you. He begins to chip away at it by inflicting wounds, lying to you shackles you with false labels and false identities that we were never meant to carry because he is terrified of you living your God-given identity 
because it is walking in that identity that empowers the authority promised in the word. That is how we become more than a conqueror through him who loved us. When we follow Jesus into the plan and purpose that he fashioned for us, our soul steps into alignment with what the spirit is saying and we are spirit led into powerful victories. The same is not promised if I'm using my own soul, what I feel and what I think, it's in charge and I decide, oh, I'm gonna just go do this for Jesus. The blessing is not promised to that. It is promised to the spirit-led work that God knit you for and he's just waiting for you to come into alignment with what he put inside of you so that then he can empower you to fulfill that purpose. I want to just share a little bit um, as we're coming to the end of this of my own personal healing journey. Um, I think sometimes healing can carry a stigma or there's shame around it or I think the enemy makes us fear it Um, and particularly the fact that God often brings healing in community. We really just, we want to have... um, We want to just get alone with God and experience that. And we don't want to have to humble ourselves to just be vulnerable with people and what's going on in our heart. But there is a blessing of healing that God pours out through community and only in community. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray that you may be healed. There is a healing in the one another process of the church. And so I just felt led of the Lord to... um, share some of my story with you this morning, hoping that um, you can encounter Jesus in what he did for me. I just really um, believe that he's calling me to do that. So anyway, my healing journey started many years ago alone with the Lord. I didn't even really recognize that I was in need of healing or going after it. I was just seeking him, and in that love, he began to heal some things. And I thought, okay, this is great kept going, followed him into ministry as he began to have gifts emerge in my life and um, thought that, okay, this is, this is how it's going to be. And then Jesus began to show me how much I desperately needed community. I'd been in a place of, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, and I don't care if anyone else goes with me, I'm going. And I'll take as many on the journey, but this is just about me and you. And he really began to show me um, that community was essential for me to fulfill the rest of what he had. I was going to have to open my heart and trust some people if I was actually going to become whole. And so I'm just going to share a part of my story, which is actually pretty recent, because I think, again, we need to understand that even as leaders, we need healing. We need the restoration of our souls. And if we can't get honest about this, We're never going to become the people that God has called us to be. So um, a couple of years ago um, at the ministry, we had been as a team going after healing. I knew that this is what God was calling us to, that we needed to go through it with one another. If we were going to bring anyone else there, we needed to go through it ourselves. And so I had had a time of prayer with um, one of the ladies that worked there at the time and had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And this is where our healing is going to happen through encounter. We can't, logic is not going to get us there. We need Jesus, the healer, bringing revelation 
so that we can enter into that agreement that we need. And so there had been this powerful time. I saw this vision. Jesus took me back into a memory, and he restored it. That's what a lot of the soul care process is. And at the end of that time of prayer, the girl that I was praying with felt prompted by the Spirit. He wants to show you his glory. Ask him to show you his glory. And that's a prayer I prayed many times based on Moses' cry. You know, I'm a Bible teacher. I study the word. God, show me your glory. Well, this time and this moment, I was not prepared for what God showed me because I saw when I asked him a vision of myself and I was crowned and radiant and shining and it just took me back because it's not how I felt inside. I wonder if anybody can relate to that. Right? We know the promises of the word and what it says about us, but what we feel in our soul, that's our soul, doesn't relate, and it wars. And so I saw this, and there was a part of me that even like, felt ashamed that I saw it. Like, was that wrong? <laughs> you know, Until the Lord reminded me, Jesus has given us his glory. He prayed it right before he went to the cross in Gethsemane. He said, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given to them. So I knew it logically, biblically to be true. But feeling it in my heart was a very different thing. And I want you to know that that is you too. We are all glory carriers if we are in Christ. He has given us his glory. That is what was true in my spirit that Jesus was showing to me. But something was resisting it in my heart. And so um, a while later, I just I started feeling this distance from God, going, what's that about, Lord? I'm still serving you. I'm ministering still hearing, but just feeling this distance. And as I was praying about it one day, he showed me that image again, only this time it was like in a cracked mirror, was distorted. There was all lines going through it. And he said to me, the vision I showed you is true. You are seeing yourself through a distorted view. Your soul does not agree with what I've already done in your spirit. So... Okay, so I'm continuing to pray and process. Well, a couple of months later, I went to a rekindle retreat, and one of the blessings of that time together, that very first night, there was a prophetic word spoken over each one of us. And when they came to me and read that word over me, there was only, it was a small group, there was about 20 of us there, and people had been given a name to pray over us before we came. The person that prayed over me I had never met, somebody in um, Mississippi. And as she began to pray this word, um, just so profound when you receive and you know that it's from God, even though it's a person that you've never met. And so there was much in that prayer that she prayed over me, but the one thing that really struck out to me was she said, when I asked the Lord about you, he showed me hardworking hands bandaged and wrapped and there was, there was um, affirmation from the Lord about the work of ministry, but then he also mentioned these, these bruised hands, and he says, I, I want to heal your hands. And so I'm taking that, and I'm processing that, and I go home to my room that night, I'm praying, I wrote it all out in my journal so I would have it, and the next morning, we're there in worship, and I see this other vision. Now again, I don't often get visions from the Lord, that's not really how God speaks to me. 
He speaks to me. He impresses words in my mind and in my heart, and I know it's him. And so this whole experience even of seeing visions was new to me. I knew that it was real because I could see it in the word, and he had connected me to a prayer partner a number of years ago who saw visions, and I could see in how we prayed the confirmation between what he was giving me in the word and what she was seeing. And so that encounter just opened me up to this as I'm asking, God, show me, show me. But so again, that next morning, I get a vision in worship, totally unprepared for it. And I see Jesus holding me in his arms. And I'm just like limp, like worn out, head leaning against his chest. And I see my hands, like the bloody hands, blood just sort of trickling down. And then the next moment, I see an image of the cracked mirror that he had showed me. And the Holy Spirit just revealed to my heart, and I knew, like I was bloodying my own fists, smashing the glass, rejecting what Jesus said of me. I was blown away by it. What was even more powerful was what Jesus did. He took me and he set me down. And he took those bloody hands in his own and he kissed them. I need you to know that that is the God that we serve. That is Jesus. That we are working our lives around, the ministry of this, this place around Jesus, a lover who was not judging me for, seriously, Kelly, after 11 years of ministry, you're a teacher and here's where you are. None of that. He just took my hands, the very thing that he showed me, the rejection of what he was telling me. And he was willing to get his lips dirty kissing them, and then he washed them. That's who he is. It was so powerful. And so I still just really didn't understand this because I thought that I was actually reaching for this. I thought that I believed him. I know the truth. And I still didn't really understand. And it was about a month ago here at this church, we were having a soul care training. And I was with a couple of women who we are together just going after how can we help facilitate healing in people and ministering to one another. And in that time, I had an encounter with Jesus again, walking on a beach. And he turns and he looked at me and the girl that was praying with me says, what is he doing? And all of a sudden I see Jesus like, reach up and wipe a tear from my face. And I was like, I didn't even know that I was sad. So I asked him, Jesus, why am I sad? And he said one word, belonging. Belonging. And in the vision, he just took me in his arms and he pulled me to his chest. And then the very next moment, he reminded me of a vision that he had given me years ago Actually, again, in worship at Providence when we were still at the school. And I had seen a vision of the throne room, the train of God's robes just filling the temple. And I saw myself in that vision just falling back into the robes, just like free falling and falling in. And I was totally covered by it, just completely immersed in it. And when I came back up, it was like I could see that I was in Christ. It was me, but I could see that he was all around me. And I mean, it had been an amazing vision. 
and I had forgotten about it. And so I'm, I'm recounting it and telling it to the people that I'm praying with. And all of a sudden I hear one of them say, Kelly, I want you to repeat these words. And she said, I want you to say, Jesus, I belong in the glory. I belong there. I started weeping before I could even get the words out. And as I began to say it, just began to sob because I recognized that was the part of my soul that was rejecting the truth that Jesus was bringing me into, right? I knew I was there. I believed him. This is a work that he did, but there was a part of me inside going, I do not belong here. And so every step of the way in ministry, I'm following Jesus by faith into his promises, knowing he's called me to teach. So I'm teaching with fear and trembling, going, I don't belong here. I don't belong on a stage. I don't belong in a counseling room. This lie inside going, this is not free. And Jesus just breaking that off and saying, this is exactly where you belong. You belong with me in my arms, on my shores. This is your place of belonging. You belong in the glory. That is who you are too. It is where we belong. But if we do not let Jesus minister to our souls and remove the hindrances that are keeping our soul from aligning with what is true in our spirit, we will continue to war. That is why there was doubt every single step of the way. Because this lie was there. And until I could let Jesus show me, baby girl, here's what's wrong. And let me heal it and usher me into that new place. Only then could I be free. And so I share that with you because I just want you to understand, you know, we toss terms around, around here, soul care. What is that? It can seem scary. It can seem, you know, foreign. But what it really is, is just facilitating encounters with Jesus where he can come and we can together encounter him and those things in there can be restored. Jesus says, where two or more gather in my name, there I am. That's the concept behind it. It can look different in every single, you know, there's different providers that have different gifts. It's going to look different, but essentially what it is, is letting Jesus restore the soul so that every one of the rest of those promises can come. And we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. And we can stand there in the face of our enemy and, and receive the anointing to defeat him. And we can have the goodness and mercy of God following us wherever we go because now my soul reflects who he is and it will be evident all around. And so that's what Jesus is inviting us all into this morning. This is the heart and passion of what we do at Kelly Latta Ministries, wanting to see people healed and restored so that you can be launched into what God has for you. And I'm going to just pray for us in the minute. I would like to invite um, the prayer team to come forward. I would just encourage you, every work of the Lord comes as we follow the prompting of his spirit. Even salvation is a result of the prompting of his spirit. It is the soul submitting to the spirit and saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Everything comes. And so if you are feeling that prompting of the spirit, do not allow your soul to talk you out of it. Jesus is inviting your soul to wholeness so that you can experience the beauty of who he knit you together to be and restore everything the enemy stole from you. Would you pray with me? 
Father God, Lord, I thank you for your, your kindness, your tenderness, your grace. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to me, for healing me, God. And you are no respecter of persons, Lord. You have healing and restoration for every person in this room, every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would just awaken. Lord, I just pray for the the breaking off of every obstacle to you. Lord, it is time for your people to come into agreement with you, to submit to your spirit, to move in power, to reveal the fruit of who you are, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your self-control, that we may be a people that reveal you, that we would not be afraid to go with you where you want to take us. I'm sorry, God, that you have to make us lie down. God, in this moment, can we surrender that to you? that we go willingly, that we go willingly to receive. I love you, Lord God. Bless your people. Restore their hearts. Strengthen what is weak. Bind what has been broken. Heal the sickness in our hearts so that we can reveal the beauty of who you are in our generation. Thank you, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.